Welcome to the One Navy Podcast, the place where we are cultivating readiness one courageous conversation at a time. I am your host, Mo Buford. Today, our guest of honor is Lieutenant Commander Desmond Walker. He hails from Hollandale, Mississippi. He graduated from Norfolk State University in 2005 with a Bachelor's of Science in Electronics Technology. He also earned a Master's of Engineer Management from Old Dominion University in 2012. Joint Professional Military Education Phase 1 from Naval War College in 2015 and an MBA from Central Michigan University this year. Lieutenant Commander Walker wrote a brilliant article entitled The Burden of a Black Naval Officer in Proceedings. Desmond, my friend, welcome to the show and thanks for all that you're doing for this beloved country. Awesome. Glad to be here. So let's get right at it. What inspired you to write the article, The Burden of a Black Naval Officer? Great question. And again, thanks for having me here. So in in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, I found myself very conflicted, very at odds uh, with what was going on. The, for me personally, I was, uh, I felt powerless. I was frustrated. I was disappointed. I was angry and because of the conflict of also serving in the military, trying to remain apolitical, Mm. I wanted to do something. Uh, And, and for me that, that started, that became writing. And I just, so I went out on my back porch and just started writing my, writing down my feelings on, on, on the laptop. And in that process, a good friend of mine who's connected with the United States Naval Institute, reached out and said that they were the editorial board was looking for someone to write something, a black American a naval officer to write something. And uh, I, I jumped at the opportunity. And when I, when I decided to do it, I asked for a prompt, asked for a word count and a, a deadline that provided that and then and it started writing. And then what was the beauty of it, I was able to reach out to a few trusted agents, good folks that I know, um, and got feedback from them across the board. You know, I wanted them to poke holes. I wanted them to give the feedback. Did they get what I was trying to say? And it, 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 the end result was what you, what you got. Nice. Very what was nice. published. And I heard you loud and clear, um, you know, trying to find that sweet spot, uh, being apolitical, right? and expressing yourself. And, and, and I just applaud you um, with um, writing, right? Because this is, this is a, a phenomenal way, right? To um, have one foot, you know, in the uniform, in the service, but also as a citizen. So I applaud you for that. You begin your article with a quote from James Baldwin. He says, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it's faced. <laughs> Why did you begin here and, and what are the implications for the Navy? Great question. So the uh, full disclosure, the, the good friend of mine that, that even offered to uh, give me this opportunity, provide his opportunity was the one that came with the quote. For myself, I was trying to come up with some great quote from a military leader, <laughs> um, something profound for the military audience. And when he recommended James Baldwin, I was like, oh, that's perfect because I was actually reading, uh, I was in the process of reading uh, James Baldwin, uh, 
Notes to a Native Son. Nice. And the, the quote just kind of it spoke to, it encapsulated what I was trying to say. Mm. Uh, because it's, it's, when you look at our country and look at the innovation that we've had um, over the last few centuries, you know, change actually happened when some type of catalyst is introduced into the system that requires progress. Mm-hmm. Not, not just, you know, progress is maybe it's, it requires progress. And that the article, even though I didn't expect it to have the impact it's had from all the feedback I've gotten, but for myself, I was trying to uh, add value to the conversations that were being had and and the feedback has been 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 very overwhelming so far nice very good i think about a quote from douglas frederick douglas and he said something to the effect um, that power concedes to nothing without a struggle it never has and it never will um, and so i commend you for um, you know participating um, in a very apolitical way um, to get at what right looks like. You mentioned in your article being encouraged, but also discouraged by the CNO's um, 3 June statement. Why? The, to, it goes back to the, when we look at our country again, when, and, and talking again about change, uh, for, for the African-American, for the Black American, um, the, the change happens, at least, in the, and again, for the military, from the military side, when the laws of equal opportunity are actually put in place. Mm. And when the organization does that, you know, they, they kind of put out, all right, here is what we, here's where we stand. Here are the rights that are enabled for all of our citizens. And then subordinate commanders, we leave it to you to define what that is. Hmm. And what I noticed was um, seeing those Zoom waltz, uh, Zgram, um, was the kind of the first line or the first document that said, we are going to do these things because we are equal. I understand that regardless of the different cultures, different backgrounds, our members in the service have, Mm -hmm. there is a level of learning and education that needs to take place. And we're going to start by formalizing expectations. Mm. And when when I see Sino Gilday kind of uh, emulate through words similar similarities to seeing those zoom walk it was both like i said it was both encouraging because he said it but it was disheartening because it's like it's been 50 years right right and so in in the last 50 years what has gone wrong and why can't why haven't we fixed it right and that's kind of that's kind of the question i have for myself in that conflict being uh encouraged that he said it while disheartened because he had to say it yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 I read your article, I thought about the the question I asked myself: um, Did the Navy ever have a design for racial um, uh, reconciliation, for for lack of terminology? Mm-hmm. And perhaps 
what you named in your article, that's the first, that's the first real attempt to really get at it. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate um, that feedback. For those who have not um, had the honor, and I strongly encourage you do read um, Desmond's phenomenal work, can you provide just an overview of your article? Sure. So again, like we said before, I start with a, with a uh, quote from James Baldwin, then I highlight the, what I think is a great starting point for the, for the article of Sino Zumwalt's Z66 uh, to kind of frame where I want the conversation to go. Then I highlight uh, CNO's comments to show the 50 years um, of, I guess, mismatch between systemic and, and, and policy uh, progress and the actual execution of that system and that and those policies, whether that be at the individual uh, group or organizational level. Because uh, as you know, we have several echelons within the military and, and the top can say one thing, but if the middle doesn't buy in and, and execute those policies, the end result is those that are, I guess, the customers of the policies mm -hmm. um, I, I, I see they they see the mismatch and it creates yeah. uh, different issues. Hmm. Um, but then what I after setting that framework, I kind of share my my personal story, some of the issues that I've seen with racism and discrimination in the military. I discuss the policy, the, the recent policy changes that have come out, and I also discuss the what I think our senior leaders can do from an accountability mm -hmm. perspective and just and just kind of frame it to say to to kind of show again that the mismatch even even in now in days in today's times we still have policy that says we are that we're one team we're on the same team we're different but we have our similarities we have things that we should align to and I just wanted to professionally highlight that that enduring disconnect is part of the problem. And mm -hmm. we need uh, we need leaders at, at all levels, whether yeah. you are a leading petty officer or you are a deputy chief of naval operations for a particular warfare area. It's all of us have some type of role in being this catalyst for change moving forward. Well said, and and you know, shipmates, I encourage you to read the article. It is a, it is a game changer from my point of view. Now, in that article, um, you name uh, the U.S. Naval Academy Alumni Association board trustee who inadvertently communicated his biases. Right? Can you briefly explain what happened and unpack the relevance of his actions? Sure. And so um, the retired captain um, who's part of the alumni association uh, board, um, basically, you know, he, he butt dialed his phone mm -hmm. and recorded himself expressing his true feelings about um, a meeting he had been at uh, that from you can infer was a conversation uh, centered around the current events. And I will tell you it, for myself, I'm not surprised people talk like that. 
because again, the 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 military, which represents you no know, less than one percent of its of its citizenry, we pull from our own, right? right. And so if we if we sample uh, our service members from across the country, then we we are a nice melting pot of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, you know, all of that. And so again, I wasn't surprised uh, of comments like that coming from from uh, someone in his position. Uh, and I'm sure it it happens. It still happens even today. Yeah. Um, and I guess the the biggest challenge we have is how do we hold leaders accountable? How do we train? How does the Navy train on increasing that awareness? Yeah. And I think and I think it's important to recognize too that while the military draws its its uh, service members from within and within being within the United States. Um, this is an opportunity to lead in while being apolitical, recognizing again to the CNO's point about being encouraged, him acknowledging racism and bias and discrimination does exist in the military. How will the United States Navy move forward in breaking down those barriers whether you're white, black, Hispanic, male, well, woman, man, woman, uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> now is a now is a moment to lead in our country uh, in, in in being better because the it's 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 a war fighting imperative that our military moves forward and leads in this yes it just, it just is and yeah no well, well said well said you know 2016 um, navy um, put pen to paper and essentially uh, illuminated what you just said and and in that document uh, one navy team um, uh, big navy acknowledged that we all have implicit biases right um, and it becomes problematic when my implicit bias begins to uh, marginalize, right? Uh, it begins to, uh, you know, suppress folk from, from uh, walking out, uh, if you would, our God-given rights, right? In the context um, of, of the Navy. So um, I appreciate, I appreciate that feedback. And oh, by the way, our next podcast, we're gonna interview um, Dr. Johnson um, from the Naval War College. He, she wrote a, a brilliant piece entitled The Content of Our Character. And she gets at that very point um, and raising the question about um, essentially um, my words, not hers, um, how fit are our fitness reports, right? So um, that's coming. Well, you highlight um, a bias about um, historical black colleges and universities when you were a lieutenant. And, and oh, by the way, um, I'll forgive you for going to that school called Norfolk. You should have went to Tuskegee, my school, but <laughs> one right here. Uh, but but can you can you share your story? What do you mean by that? Sure. So as I as I wrote in the article, I said as a lieutenant, I was told that because I went to a historically black college university, and with my test scores, I probably wouldn't make it as a nuclear trained surface warfare officer. Mm. 
Um, when I wrote that, I was reminded of a time when uh, peers, subordinates, seniors, when they find out I'm a swo nuke, you know, they're like, oh, you're a swo nuke? You know, a, a, to imply, they're not, not saying everyone implies this, but generally speaking, the implication being that because I went to an HBCU, um, I have the academic aptitude to make it through the nuclear training. And I've always said nuclear power school was the hardest thing I've ever done. Hmm. I compare, if, you, if we think going through SEAL training is the hardest thing to do physically, then to me, nuclear power is the academic version of that kind of training. Wow. Um, and when someone questions your ability to do something and you you've already accomplished it so why the need to be surprised or question a person's potential to accomplish something that they've already accomplished hmm. and what tends to happen is again with the bias and the prejudice there tends to be this this notion that oh well you something else must have helped you out in, in being successful. And that's across the board, whether it's getting your surface warfare pin, uh, qualifying for your wings as an aviator, getting your dolphins as a submariner, um, getting your information dominance pin, uh, it, across the board, even, even, you know, even some of the, what we would quote unquote call the less technical jobs. Yes. Um, whether it's, you know, you're trying to qualify as a, as a limited duty officer or a chief warrant officer, you're trying to make chief, you know, as a first class, you know, it, there, there's just this notion that, oh, you must have had additional help and, or you must have gotten a hookup. And, and even now thinking about it, you, it's, it still baffles me with that, with that thinking because legacies and, and networking is what's always been the thing. Mm. Whether you, if you went to Harvard and had that credential, that probably made the difference in whether or not you got the job. And so that association is what got you into the window, into the conversation in the first place. Mm. But no one holds it against you because you went to Harvard. They're not surprised if you went to Harvard, unless you're African American. Now it's, well, how'd you get into Harvard? Right. You know, and so it, it's, it's those kinds of assumptions and prejudices hmm. that that makes it harder for, or I guess it's it's a part of that burden that I was trying to, yeah. to uh, articulate in the article. It the the several layers of all of the extra stuff black naval officers have to do just to still be considered equal or considered um, uh, competent and proficient. And in some cases, a master of their art. Well said. What you are naming really are microaggressions or intentional or unintentional um, slights. We see this with General Brown, the new lead of the Air Force, when he opened up and essentially illuminated his microaggressions that he experienced. We see this with Lieutenant General Stewart, the 20th Director of Defense uh, uh, intelligence agency. And we see this around 
around the fleet as Task Force One Navy goes around and uh, we hear it from sailors all around, around the fleet. Um, they are getting at this same construct of microaggressions. It's really interesting. It's, it's a fascinating concept, and I appreciate you naming it. So the question I have for you, how do we, how do we navigate around it? What are the best practices? How can we, um, um, you know, get better at this piece? I think it, it again, this is, this is just for me. Sure. Uh, I think there is a, a level of education and awareness that needs to happen across the board. And there are several degrees to that. Um, I can tell you the me, Mississippi boy, you know, Mississippi school system, public education, you know, my, my American history curriculum is different than the public school in Texas, right. which is different than the public school in Pennsylvania, which is different than the public school in Wisconsin, which is different in Florida across right. the board, 50 different versions of the same historical context. Probably the only similarities though, one of the few similarities is the absence of the uh, Black American contribution, the depths of that contribution. And I think generationally, uh, we are at a we're we're at a moment where history, in its full context, is begging to be heard and taught. Mm -hmm. And I think the Navy's role in that is creating for its service members training and education across the leadership continuum. That's why I put in the article, even from the type commander perspective with accountability from midshipman to flag officer, I think that the Navy at large, um, if we truly think inclusion diversity is a war fighting uh, readiness uh, imperative strategically, then the Navy can do its part in calling a spade a spade right. and saying, look, this is, this is what we believe in. We are going to talk about this. We are going to have these conversations and, and begin to change the hearts and minds of the people that took the oath of the Constitution to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It has to start there. It has to, because again, at the end of the day, while our country has politicized racism, let's not forget that we're talking about a human rights issue, not mm -hmm. a political issue. So I don't think that there are the landmines that people may think are there when talking about race or talking about prejudice or talking about discrimination, because again, to solve the strategic imperative, we have to address the issue. Yes. And right now the Navy has an opportunity to create or manufacture some catalysts to begin to change its own members within its own context. Because I don't, it's not lost on me too, that the Navy is just a subset of one of the institutions of the DOD, which in of itself is a subset or an a sub institution of the country at large. So we're not expecting the Navy to solve a problem on racism, but what we're asking, what I'm asking Navy to do is take the blinders off, recognize the situation you're in and lead in this moment. 
like you've done so many times before when it came to social issues. I love it. Once again, not everything that is face can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's face. Exactly. Well, it, my friend. Well, you, you, you wrote this. I love the way you wrote it here. You said, quote, let me be clear. If any officers are not performing up to the strictest standards of naval excellence, it is our duty to them individually and to the Navy as a whole to evaluate them accordingly. Explain this more to the audience. What do you mean? Red, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a good question. And, and I'll add that the, the sentence right after that, black officers are not looking for a handout. Um, that was specific because there, there is a narrative um, that exists in our country that says, and to be totally blunt with you, that black Americans are lazy, we're dumb, uh, we don't know what we're doing, we need firm, hard leadership, we're emotional, we're angry, you know, and all of those things uh, have fed a particular, particular narrative about us being inferior to, to, a, to a different race, to a majority race. And I wanted to highlight that, let me be clear, at least for our military, we, are, we pride ourselves on performance. Number one, you have to perform. So if we accept that as a uh, professional norm, then don't assume that because I'm of a particular background that I don't want to be a professional, that I don't want to be better, right? And so if we, if you come into, if you come into a situation where you come into a situation where the senior is a majority and the subordinate is minority, if you bring your own uninformed prejudice or ignorance to that relationship, you are going to set me back or place roadblocks in front of me that you may not even be aware of because right. of the prejudice, because of the bias. And, and the other thing is, everyone's not perfect. The military is not made for everyone. Right. So I want you to work with me. I want you to mentor me. I want you to challenge me. No different than you would a majority officer. And make sure I'm given that same opportunity to succeed or fail. If I succeed, then give me my just due in that competitive environment, whether it's fit reps, selection boards, or the case may be, all those environments are what I call competitive because it's an up and out type of meritocracy. And, but on the other hand, if I'm not performing and you are being fair and balanced and, bi and, and not biased, then, I get exactly what I deserve. And maybe I need to go pick a different profession. The point is don't disqualify me before you do your part as the leader. Got it. So, so what happens if a sailor, they are walking in excellence. They are, uh, where I'm from, we call it bringing our triple A game, <laughs> right? 
but the leader, because of the leader's own stuff, um, just can't see um, excellence um, in operation. How do we hold leaders to account? Um, well, I think that it, it starts with the, the subordinate being confident in themselves. And sometimes that's intuitive. Sometimes that requires a support system, a mentorship system, um, and being aware of the programs, being aware of the policies, and holding that leader accountable to that. Saying, if if my leader says, "Well, I'm going to disqualify you, disqualify you, or I'm going to recommend you not be selected," this, that, the other, then it's on that individual. I think the individual has an opportunity to speak up for themselves, mm. right? And say, I hear what you are, I hear what you're saying, superior officer, but here is what the policy says. And here are the places that you did not support me as the leader. I think that's where it starts at the individual. Again, when we, when we think of things, I'm putting my MBA hat on right now. <laughs> when you go individual group and organizational levels, um, that individual speaking up for themselves uh, is where it can start. Um, then again, at, from, at that group level, when you're looking at the peers, you you and I both have seen it. We will be uh, will be amongst our peers, whether that's by designator or by rank or a combination of both. And the comments, you know, that are said, you it makes you cringe. You know, you're like, oh, why did he have to say that? Why did she right. say that? That's not what that means. Mm -hmm. um, did they consider this stuff when they had that conversation? You know, sometimes we don't speak up. Sometimes we just say, you know what, it's not even worth it. Um, I think there is a, we, we are in a moment where it is definitely time to quote unquote, see something, say something. Yes. Um, we look at, we look at other uh, progressive movements within the military, like sexual assault and harassment, mm -hmm. you know, the, when women and to, and to a lesser extent men started speaking up that, hey, this is a real thing. You know, this is happening to me. Yeah. It took them speaking up and it also took people saying, I hear you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's the moment we're in now. We have people speaking up and now Navy, it appears Navy is going through this process through Task Force One Navy saying, I hear you, or I'm hearing you, act, I'm actively hearing you right now. And uh, I'd say I'm optimistic about where this can end up, uh, but it's, it's still, it's, it's definitely an opportunity to lead. Yes, well said, well said, my friend. You, another quote that, that um, resonates uh, with me, with your article, and, and you say leaders, need more training to show empathy and compassion. Um, unpack that a little bit more and, and, and how can the Navy operationalize uh, empathy and compassion? After all, we are a war fighting organization, right? We kick doors in, we, we win and, and debatably, we attract uh, a cohort of personality A type. So how to, talk to us on that. Okay, so I think we can agree that 
um, the Navy, as with most organizations, um, are competing for talent. And in that talent competition, with with reduced budgets or with constraints on on budgets, every individual matters with recruiting and retention. And so if if we're trying to get quality over quantity in recruiting and retention to make sure we can man our ships, man our squadrons, uh, man our support uh, areas, then the Navy has to invest in teaching their leaders how to care. Mm. Um, because it's, it's not it's not intuitive for everyone. Like some folks are very engineering, you know, is they're very procedural. They're very um, uh, systematic, very linear in some cases in their thinking. And in um, no point in there is emotion evolved or involved. And so just like the third class paid officer needs some type of leadership training because of their advancement. Ensigns, JGs, commanders, commanding officers, OICs, anyone that's gonna be in a leadership position that's gonna be managing uh, different personalities, different skill sets, different talents, must learn how to relate to their team. Mm. Because on the other end, I'll say it this way, people, don't leave organizations. People leave people. Well said. Well said. Well said, my friend. Well, my last question for you, um, and I really love the way you conclude your article um, by saying that it is a moral imperative. That's dear to my heart, this entire conversation. It is a moral imperative. I think about Abraham Lincoln his, his sentiments, he says, um, uh, right makes might. Say more about your moral imperative. Well, I think for me, it goes back to uh, the oath we take in the Constitution. Um, the, if, if we are trying to defend democracy around the world and doing it because it's the right thing to do, then how is that no different in trying to build a war fighting force that's ready? We have to acknowledge that it's only right that we move progressively towards being more inclusive in a more informed way. It has to account for the full context of our country's history. And then within that context, acknowledging the deficiencies and then putting things in place to teach, to shore up, to close those gaps, to to make the leaders feel more comfortable and to make the subordinates feel more comfortable in engaging and 
and, and effectively willing to die for this country because mm. that's what it comes out to we have we have we haven't fought a naval battle in decades right but that but if we're talking about great power competition then one day we might be in one and so this starts now we're in, we're in our research and development phase <laughs> of mm. a startup company from that perspective i think it's this is new territory this is uncharted territory uh for a united states navy and i think that if we uh put different things in place across all echelons and across the leadership continuum especially i think the navy leadership development framework is a great place when we start talking about competency character and connectedness nice. this is fertile this opportunity is fertile ground for connectedness. Nice, very nice. Well said, my friend, well said. Lieutenant Commander Desmond Walker in the house. Thank you, sir. Now, word on the street is you have this, this saying, this model. Tell me about your model, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I, I, I have his wake up, grind, sleep, and repeat. Uh, it, is, it is a mindset shift that I had a couple of years ago. And it's just worked wonders for me because for my, it, it can't, again, going back to account, accountability, it starts with me. Mm. And I think that's, that's applicable to anyone. I, I want to do everything that I can in my power to be successful on what my terms, what my definition of success is. Mm. I'm not going to wait for someone to necessarily create that opportunity for me. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I encourage others to do that as well. Um, and that's not to discount, you know, opportunities uh, are just readily available for folks because we know they're not. Um, I heard some, one person said that um, they told me, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Right. And so I'm doing my part with the preparation through a, through the mantra of wake up, grind, keep and repeat. And so when the opportunities pre present themselves, I like to say I'm qualified for the blessing. <laughs> Love it. Wake up, grind, sleep and repeat. <laughs> I am Mo Buford with One Navy Podcast. I am a sailor. We are a team. This is our Navy, and now is the time to be all in.